It's that number 97W566. Kenneth Wangler, yeah, boy. 16 years old, tried as an adult. Convicted July 6, 97. Murder in the first degree. Sentenced 20 years up for parole in six. Ha <laughs> ha, yeah. <laughs> The following podcast is a Carolina Boys production. Welcome back, everyone, to Crime and Entertainment. I'm your host, Hollywood Wade, here with my co-host, Jaeger Yancey Tedder. Jaeger, say hello. Hey, everybody. How's it going? I clear my throat here as I munch on a chicken thigh. <laughs> oh, my word. We'll see where the big money is over there. This, folks, this man has got food all over his Instagram pages, if you follow him on Instagram. I don't know where he steals them from. If y'all know, let me know, because I've known this man for many a year and he ain't never cooked a damn meal like I see him post on his Instagram pages. So I'm not sure what the problem is there. But where are you stealing these from, Yeager? Well, the Instagram handle is YS Food Shots or YS Dot Food Shots. But it's a little bit of crime in being hungry. You do what you got to do, pal. <laughs> I think uh, we've known each other. That's probably going on 25 years or more, maybe close to 30, maybe. And I think the only thing you've ever made me is a glass of water. So we, we got to. We got to straighten that up a little bit, pal. We got to act a little well, bit more now, professional. Hold on. I'm not going to let you off the hook here, pal. There was that piece of ham I gave you that time, uh, which I thought was just going to be a small slice, but it looks like you ate the whole thing. I didn't say anything. I was like, I figure he's a little bit hungry. <laughs> I'm a growing boy. Uh, speaking <laughs> well, of boys. Shout out to the family. <laughs> <laughs> speaking Woo. of boys in situations where you don't get much to eat, if you recognize that opener, that was Kenny Wangler from the show Oz going into prison. Now, if you watched Oz back in the day, like Jaeger and myself, that was one of the landmark shows for HBO. Really the first of its kind for that episodic series on HBO. Jaeger, were you a fan of this at the time? Did you did you look at it when it was airing? You better freaking believe it. Too young to be watching that show. And I always... Even then, knew that show didn't get the awards, the claim that other HBO shows got. We talked about this for years. That show was the talk of every underage person in school. <laughs> it exactly <laughs> was. It was on HBO. It scared a hell of a lot of people from probably doing anything to send them to jail after seeing some of the things that went down in that show. And just so many people just went on to do movies and TV shows and Hell, insurance commercials and everything else. Half the cast is selling insurance right now. What Dean Winters? Um, you know, I mean, it's just it's it's off J. the race. J.K. Yeah. Simmons. I mean, it's, the guy goes from running the Aryan Brotherhood to selling you insurance. I mean, I, I tell you, you got Law and Order people on there. I mean, it's it's crazy yeah. the amount of people that went on to have great careers after the show. But nowadays, with with the way people are so easily offended by the least little thing, there's no way in hell a show like this will be able to be made even anywhere close to Oz. What's your take on that? I got to say, maybe not on TV, but as the marketing says, it's not TV, it's HBO. <laughs> so they might can get away with something similar. I don't know. HBO does 
not really cracked down, but I also don't think it's the same HBO, obviously, because that's all gone on almost 30 years, 25 years now. Yes, In the sense that even they don't put on the skin flicks that they might have had on um, back in the day at nighttime, uh, the skin of match jokes, even they kind of clean it up. They're, they're way more prestige, and their prestige is a little bit more palatable, I guess. Like their biggest show was Game of Thrones, and all the nudity on that still wasn't presented like an odds in that sort of ultra-realistic, violent way. You had to put a dragon in there to try to <laughs> soften it up a little bit. So, yeah, it's not the same HBO. So, you know, you, you are correct on that. It'll still be gritty and very adult, but it just ain't the same thing anymore. It's not the same TV landscape. Yeah, I mean, I've listened to some interviews with creator Tom Fontana and just the stuff that he was able to get away with back then because it was HBO really trying to break into this episodic television. They basically gave him the reins and was like, here's your ball, you know, shoot it how you want. And boy, did he do it. And, you know, the follow that up, you had Sex in the City. And then you had, obviously, one of my favorite TV shows of all time, The Sopranos. And then right on the heels of that, you had The Wire. Now, The Wire and The Sopranos are, you know, kind of consider the Kobe and the Jordan, you know, you got your one team is Sopranos. One team is the wire. Each team thinks theirs is the best. What was your personal favorite? You've watched both of them. What is Jaeger Tedder's choice? I got to give it to season three and four of the wire overall as a series, maybe Sopranos, even though some of those later seasons, I remember being a little slower than I would like. And that a lot of fans would like. So I mean, both of them are a landmark, hallmark TV show. So yeah. don't get me wrong. Absolutely. However, since you're talking about Oz, I think I, I might have got a little bit more out of Oz than both of those shows. <laughs> I'm being honest with personal preference. I, I, mean, may Oz, have to. I don't know if I blanked my eyes watching some of those episodes. I was glued to the TV. You couldn't. And for they, the beast in such a confined area, it wasn't like you were all over the place. Like The Wire, you had the police stations, you had... You know, the political stuff, you had the corners, you had all kind of different things. And Sopranos, obviously, you had the pork store, you had the Bada Bing, you had, you know, all types of different places. You're literally in a prison, all of this thing. You're in different pods, but it's still a prison. And you would think yeah. maybe from the outside looking at this is going to be too confined. And it just, it you didn't get that feeling. It really worked. And I'm like you, I was glued to that. Maybe more so of some of them. And they, they didn't really have an off episode in there. Not at all. Right. Right. You know, um, gosh, I'm not going to say Oz was a deep, but it's kind of like how Biggie had the more party songs. You might have been into that, but Tupac had the deeper stuff, and they both have their place. But if you really wanted to get the party stuff, you had more songs with Biggie. Well, I mean, party poppy, you had more songs with Biggie. That's uh, the worst analogy I have, but it makes sense to me. <laughs> <laughs> well, it definitely does <laughs> make sense. Down. And to, to help this episode make sense, because people are like, oh, what the hell are these people talking about? I was able to sit down with actor J.D. Williams, who played oh. Kenny Wangler in Oz. Yes. And he also went on to play Bodie in The Wire. So two back-to-back landmark shows for HBO. We were able to sit down with him on Crime and Entertainment and get the skinny from him on what it was like filming both of those things he went through, people he was with and acted alongside, you know, and one thing we'll get into in the interview, and it's a key point here, that man killed Michael B. Jordan. You remember Wait, that? Wallace that? Wait, Wallace that, huh? <laughs> huh, String? Wait, Wallace. 
<laughs> I mean, so we can really say that on crime and entertainment, we got the guy that killed Apollo Creed's kid, for God's sakes. I mean, it, this that's it. Time to close up shot. We're not getting any better. That's a bad man. <laughs> As a bad man. And he played that role of Bodie so good because even at the end when he eventually got killed off, he was by himself and he didn't let his corner go. He sat, he held it down as the kids say to the very end till he went out, you know, on his sword. And we talked about that. He says he enjoys dying in a role as long as it's done the right way, as long as, you know, things are done respectable to the character. And that's what yeah. he also talked about. Sure. He told Michael, Michael was worried that after that role that he might not get anything else. And he's like, look, this is where, you know, you kill this death scene and you're essentially now you're a free agent to go act in whatever, you know, and boy, yeah. did he ever, he's mm -hmm. went on to do a number of different films. And I think yeah, you yeah. people are going to enjoy this episode. So without any further ado, we're going to get right into it here on crime and entertainment. As we sit down with one of the stars of Oz and the wire, Mr. J D Williams right here on crime and entertainment. Ladies and gentlemen, today on Crime and Entertainment, we have a very special guest. This man has starred in over 60 different roles between TV and television. He was on the landmark series Oz and the Wire from HBO. Please help me welcome Mr. J.D. Williams. J.D., how are you, pal? Right, man. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Wade. I appreciate it, man. Feeling good, and I'm, I'm happy to be here. <laughs> hey, man, it's our pleasure. Like I said, we're a huge fan uh, the Wire, The Oz, both groundbreaking shows, and you were there for both of them, and that's what we're going to get into today a little bit. But before we get into that, tell the audience a little bit about yourself. Like, where did you grow up? What area? And, you know, were you always an aspiring actor? Or did you find out you wanted to do that a little bit later on? Right. Uh, well, I'm from uh, Newark, New Jersey, uh, and mostly uh, I was the kind of kid, you know, my parents weren't together when I was growing up, even though they were both around. Right. They, was, they were apart. And uh, I it, mostly I was with my mother. And so we would move around a lot. And the way that I would figure out to get involved into, you know, going to different schools and try, trying to assimilate pretty quickly, I would end up usually doing like some type of drama class or play in school or end up reading the announcements at the assemblies or doing speeches in front of the school, that type of thing. So it kind of was a, a, a way that I used to kind of get uh, acquainted into new schools all the time. And then right. once I got to high school, I went to arts high school in Newark, mm -hmm. which was the high school, you know, uh, Tisha Campbell graduated from there. Savion Glovers, right. Sarah Vaughn, um, Michael B. Jordan, Kat DeLuna, like the list goes on and on all the people who graduated from there. But luckily I was one of them. Um, I started auditioning like the month before I graduated, got my very first commercial, did it on my birthday. So I took that as a sign. Yeah. And just kept working. And luckily, uh, that first year, I might have done maybe like 20 national commercials and uh, a couple of television roles. And then New York Undercover came. And mm -hmm. then from there, it was just kind of like Snowball the role effect. of uh, just, just staying busy, you know. But yeah, just a little, you know, North kid from Brick City, you know, uh, just got on the grind and just kept it going, man. That's, that's how you're supposed to do it. Now, you actually, you were in an episode of The Sopranos too, right? I think it's like their second or third episode, 46 long, I think. Yeah, yeah, that was me. Yeah, um, back then at that time, particular time, I was still doing Oz. Right. And it was like um, the way that HBO was kind of creating its new um, 
this new entertainment block, it was Oz, and then the next year we had Sopranos, and then the right. year after that it was Sex in the City. Yeah. So it was like basically those other two shows were Oz's sister and brother show. Right. So a lot of us kind of you know crossed. Yeah. On all of those shows, like I was, I did that episode of that, did an episode of, of Sex in the City. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so yeah, and and actually even it kind of spilled over into um Homicide for me actually at one point. Okay. Um, that was actually Homicide was actually the first job I was actually offered that I didn't have to audition for. And that was actually while I was doing Oz. That might have been my second or third year on Oz. So, you know, I figured, hey, this is going pretty well. Yeah, I think Michael K. Williams even had a uh, episode on there in the third season when uh, the kid that they killed off, Jackie Jr., went and hid out. He went to his apartment and yeah, uh, he yeah. answered the door. Yeah, so there was a lot of cross-platforms with you guys from, from different shows for sure. Um, yeah, that's thanks to uh, the casting director, Alexa Fogel award-winning casting director she put together the the entire cast for oz the cast for the wire <clears throat> she put together a lot of a uh, a lot of great casts you know and she's given us she 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 keeps she's very i don't want to say it's a, it's loyal but she just makes sure she keeps us in mind she gives us the opportunity and we usually come in and kill it because she's aware of exactly what it is you know we do and, right she know, knows what y'all bring to the table exactly yeah yep. yeah so now when you got the interview for Oz, who did you interview with for that? Uh, the first audition was with Alexa and an assistant. And it's funny because in that actual audition, I did something that like I wouldn't even have the balls really to do right now in an audition. Uh, I, I was doing the audition and in the in the scene, one of the characters grabs me by the neck and slams me up against the wall. That's got to be at a BC. <laughs> Uh, no, actually in that episode, it was, um, it was Jefferson King. Oh, Jefferson. um, Okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, early on when he finds me doing the drugs that I was supposed to not be doing with Adebe. Okay. So anyway, that was the auditioning scene and I could have stayed on camera and just did it, but you know, I'm coming fresh out of high school. Basically I'm still tuned to doing, um, to rehearsing and being pretty sharp at my at my craft because I was doing it for four years every day as a major. So long story short, I ended up throwing myself off camera <laughs> while I'm doing this thing, right? And um, I, out of the corner of my eye, I see Alexa and the assistant look at each other. But I'm still up against the wall and I'm just doing doing the part. Yeah. And I'm putting my all into it and everything. And then like later on, uh, the second I got the callback still, luckily. And in the callback, it was just in a small office with Alexa, Tom Fontana. Barry Levinson might have been in there. Yeah. Um, I, I think he was. But yeah, it was just a really small. Oh, no. And it was also the director. So that would have been, you know, uh, a small, small room of maybe three or four people. But uh, yeah, they called me by the time I got maybe two or three blocks away from the callback. They called my phone. Uh, we'll call my agent who called my phone. Right. And uh, that's how that that came about. But yeah, I couldn't imagine nowadays throwing myself off camera for in an audition, you know. So Tom Fontana, now he created the, the Oz, uh, series. How was he to work for? Was he pretty cool? The interviews that I've ever seen him in, he's a, he seems like a real laid back guy. Oh yeah. 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 Tom was, uh, like I said, Tom was great. He was very super open-minded, you know? Um, I would like to say that he's very much so, uh, actors writer, right. As far as, you know, he pays attention to the characters, you know, he, he gives you the opportunity from whatever personality you bring to the character, he embellishes mm-hmm. upon that. A lot of the characters in Oz would have never been characters if, because a lot of them started out as extras. 
Right. And a lot of them wouldn't have made it to be characters if they didn't have some type of personality showing through in that little bit that they gave them. Like, um, I, I don't, I think, um, you know, in Oz, obviously it was segregated because it was a prison show. Right. But uh, there was the 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 gay gang, the homosexual yeah. gang, which became like a big gang, like in like the later season. Yeah, in season six, they took over. Yeah. Yeah, and and it, and they weren't initially written into the show as such a figure, you know. Wasn't but they that, came up with it, started developing a liking towards them. Wasn't that head guy? Wasn't that Bobby Cannavale? I think's his name. He played like the head one that come in there at the end. He he was kind of running stuff. He had like the short blonde hair. I, to be honest, I didn't make it all the way to season eight. Right, yeah. But I do believe, I do believe, yeah, a lot of people, you know, like I said, Alexa was that type of person. She had the great casting eye and Tom, obviously, with the material. I mean, they even did a, a musical episode. Right. So, <laughs> yeah, see, I, I would go back and rewatch Oz probably once a year, once every two years, just start to finish and burn through it because there was only, what, eight episodes a season for most of the seasons. I think yeah. three had a double up, but... I, by that time, I'd watched Boardwalk Empire, and he mm-hmm. had a role in Boardwalk Empire where he played a guy named Jip Rossetti, and he mm-hmm. was just a, yeah, yeah. a madman. And then I'm watching it in season six, and I'm seeing him, and I'm like, is that him? And I had to go look. Yeah. I had to pull up IMDb because he doesn't look like anything like it there in that role. But yeah, yeah, yeah he, he killed that. I mean, everybody in that whole show was just, it just seemed like so they were many. cast perfect. Yeah, that's one of, well, that's one of the shows where as much as people talk about uh, The Wire, usually in my mind, I, I, I pit the cast of The Wire and the cast of Oz against each other because I'm like, you know, everybody that was on Oz was already pretty much established. You know, right. at least uh, Rita Moreno, you know, it was so many people on there, or Ernie Hudson, yeah. just people that were there already. But The Wire kind of made stars, you know, oh, like yeah. everybody came, was birthed from that a lot, uh, per se. And so I have to give it to you know, eyes for the cast, but you know, just, 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 it's just, it was just stellar, you know, like yeah. beforehand. So, um, but yeah, the casting in eyes was phenomenal, you know, and especially with the guest stars that was on rotation. Yeah. Yeah. Now I read something where it said sometimes like if guys would miss a shoot or if they would show up late, that they would write them in to getting a beaten in the scenes. Is there any truth to that? <laughs> um, I don't, I don't think it was that, exactly what it, what would happen was if we would come in late or if you were the last one to read your script everybody would start getting on you and saying either you got killed off or your character got assaulted <laughs> sexually assaulted so you better not be the last one to read your script or you're gonna get you know yeah. get picked on <laughs> and threatened <laughs> until you do so i think that was i think that's where that came from don't be the last one to read your script exactly <clears throat> now, when you came in for that, did you read for Wangler or did you read for somebody else and then they put you with, as Wangler or was that kind of who you was brought in to be? Uh, Yeah, I, I I read for Wangler and for some reason I feel like I, um, I feel like I also read for Hill, but that might might just be in my mind. <laughs> OK, but I yeah. definitely yeah, I, I definitely had a heavy. Uh, a Wangler heavy audition. Uh, but I, for some reason, I feel like I auditioned for Hill also. Well, I mean, because coming in, you were what? Character-wise, you were 16 years old, right? Coming into right. Oz? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So now how old were you when you got that part? I think I was about 19. Okay. So not a, not a terrible different age gap there. 
you know, from real yeah, life no, to character. I wasn't too far off. I really wanted to do a hill. I'm pretty sure a lot of people did because, like I said, coming fresh out of high school and being so tuned at the time, so honed, I wanted to do all those monologues right. and just, you know, have all of that, you know, Greek, yeah. you know, tragedy going on. I I saw that at a at a at an early age that where that character was going. But I'm glad that, like I said, Alexa really saw in me to really bring, you know, Wangler out and. Tom gave me so much to do with it. So, yeah, yeah, you definitely, it seems like, you know, looking at it now after the fact, it was kind of tailor made for you. Um, and you come in yeah. what, like the third episode of the first season, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So you were there yeah, pretty dude. much from the beginning. Um, now yeah. on, on uh, the first, se- second, third, and fourth season. And actually, the third season is my, I think that's my favorite season to watch. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was the double up season if I'm not mistaken. I think for whatever reason it was a it was like 16 episodes that season. Oh, I'm yeah. Not, well, I'm not well, sure what charged what changed all that. I, I no, well actually I think it was um the show was doing really well. Yeah. You know, by that year, so I think that HBO just, Tom just convinced them that you know, yeah, give it a shot because we were doing so well. That's why it went kind of from from that season it went into like that uh insane realm where you know you have uh beecher sharpening his nails oh yeah all the other craziness that was going on so like it just went out the window on that on that season so yeah okay so i mean filming that now did y'all did y'all basically build a prison and construct it and that's kind of where y'all filmed at is that how that was yeah yeah pretty much um it was down in, in new york uh in the meatpacking district it was um ninth ave and 14th street Okay. And that building right now, I believe it was is owned by Oprah because I b- believe that's why we, they had to move out of that building because Oprah bought it. It is end up right now it's uh Chelsea Market. It's a big fancy marketplace, but uh it's an eight-story building. And so I think we were like on about the seventh floor or so. Um but yeah, they gutted out the whole seventh floor, built up the prison, built um Oz M, M- City inside yeah. of there. All of the the Window panes were plastic. All of the metal bars were wood, you know. So yeah, it was um yeah, it was entirely a set. You used to break it down, move it around all the time. But uh yeah, it was a good playground. It was a great playground and pretty pretty laid back shooting area. I mean, not, I know you see some where they say that it's just stressful. That seems like that would have probably been a fairly laid back set. But you know, I mean, I know sometimes with shooting schedules it can get a little hectic. But for the most part, mm-hmm. was it pretty laid back? Yeah, I would say it was. I think it was because also everybody there was very professional. Right. You know, it was so many. I mean, it's a prison set. And so there's going to be that actual real feeling of claustrophobia a little bit where we're always together, always on top of each other. I was I actually shared a dressing room with Adewale, who played at a BC. Right. You know, it was like some people actually shared dressing rooms. And, you know, sometimes in between takes when you're waiting around, you're literally waiting in the scene and you're waiting in real life you know right. so there was a lot of um crossover with real life where it's like all right well, what are we gonna do i don't know well since we're pretending to do push-ups we might as well actually do push-ups <laughs> yeah. you know that type of thing so yeah everybody we we found ways to you know entertain each other uh we all got along really well um like i said i think the variety in the rotation of the cast and the variety in new directors and you know, right guest writers and things like that. I think that really helped to keep it fresh. Right. But yeah, man, like I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't say like to this day, me and a lot of those dudes, you know, 
whether we stay in touch or not, we have great affinity for each other. You know, Dean Winters, me and Dean Winters, whenever we see each other, it's going to be a problem. Yeah. You know, Harold Paranu's great. Uh, Eamon Walker is like an uncle. J.K. Simmons is like an uncle to me. Right. Lee Turgeson, at, me as a kid being 19, and for Lee Turgeson to want to hang out with me after the set, and maybe and we even went to see a movie, like that meant a lot to me as a young kid saying, hey, you know, these guys like, really you know care in a certain way to see my development so that really meant a lot um to me i mean harold paranoid too like it was these guys that really looked out for me as a kid and um yeah i, I learned so much from from all of them you know kirk abacito uh terry mckinney who directed a lot of episodes you know it was like like i said the the cast was pretty tight you know shout out to um r.i.p to craig mums <clears throat> um <clears throat> excuse me to uh mums the schemer um I'm sorry, I'm blanking on Craig's last name right now, but uh, R.I.P. to him, and he was poet. We played poet, yeah, of course, yeah, and um, yeah, so yeah, we were really everybody was really great. It was great working yeah. with everybody. I and you guys see. had a lot of scenes together, you and Poet. Y'all had a lot of scenes together throughout the, the series. Definitely, uh, Grant, Craig Grant. I'm sorry, I, I don't know why I, was, I kept thinking Robinson, but I know that wasn't it. Craig, Mom's Grant, yeah, R.I.P. Yes, we definitely did have um uh, yeah you know his character and my character actually grew together right you know yeah um, you all kind of came and, up together and and speaking of characters like that whole just the whole series is just full of so many powerful characters i mean adabisi saeed poet um even in the later you got burr redding coming in there ryan o'reilly <laughs> alvarez augustus hill chucky pencama i mean you yeah. can go on and on uh, so much the better yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Was, Peter Shabetta, uh What was it? Nino Shabetta to start with. What was the guy that came in after him? The other Italian the, my guy man from um, from Scarface. Who yes. blew, who blew up, went to blow up the car? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was just yeah. It was just the casting. Just I don't know. It couldn't have been any better. I think everybody was just nailed a hundred percent. Who was some of I, your favorite characters? Some of your personal favorite characters on uh on Oz? Yeah, on Oz. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, like I said, it was the the show was just nothing but characters you know that's right. i think that's actually what made it so great but yeah if i definitely had to pick i mean who's not gonna say at a bc first right yeah number one because that was a, a character to this day that i don't think is matched no you know as far as rawness like that is an insane character right there and um, he played it perfect i don't know if it was laid out for him to play it like that or if he kind of adapted he, and done his no, own he thing definitely, he definitely took the skeleton and put all the meat on those bones is all him. Yeah. Like, uh, for example, one of the scenes where we were supposed to be getting, um, some medicine or something and we're in a line. He walks up to glory, <clears throat> excuse me, Gloria, who's playing Dr. Was it Nate? Nathan, Dr. Nathan, Dr. Yeah, Dr. Nathan. Yeah. And, uh, he was supposed to, you know, it wasn't written that he was supposed to do something because we know at is always going to do something crazy, whether he's going to lick his tongue out at you or, yeah. you know, whatever. The man actually dropped his pants and started slapping his his member on camera. And if you watch it, if you see it, because they use the take. Yeah. She didn't break character, but she had to just look down and she couldn't really give a reaction because nobody expected it. <laughs> Obviously, no one expected it. And when he did it, it was like when they yelled cut, everybody just fell out. We just knew that this show was like no other show ever anywhere and it will never be duplicated again no there's no way in hell you could probably do some of the stuff that y'all did back then nowadays it just wouldn't happen <laughs> not at all not at all o'reilly's one of my favorite characters yeah also 
and um i liked him I he he went through that whole thing with basically not a lot of people to back him up but he got away with great. it because he could get along with everybody when he had to i mean he basically yeah, had think, his brother and that was it yeah for and the most one part. of the things that um i i got from tom fontana like i i write also and he used to nurture that in me also he's read a couple of my scripts used to tell me you know used to let me make little adjustments to my my lines and would approve them for me so he was always very encouraging in, in that aspect. And I think one of the things with O'Reilly, which which, like I said, Tom always wrote in so many layers, you know, whether he was thinking about Greek tragedy, or whether he was doing something with like he was doing with O'Reilly. Where I think that was more of the Machiavellian thing right. that he wanted to, you know, squeeze into there where like, OK, you have these factions who are gangs and you have the, the lone wolf, you know, you know, manipulator. And then obviously you have the savage over here. So I think that he really, uh, the way he had O'Reilly's character was like, it was great. Like I said, it was such a balance to everything else going on. Now, am I right? Was, was that Dean's first acting role? He hadn't done anything before that, had he? Or very little? Yeah, I, I think he had done, a, I'm, I'm sure he'd done a couple of things because when he came on set, you know, everybody kind of knew who he was already. And, uh, and he was just so comfortable. He was like, yeah, super comfortable. So you would think that would be just like how he acted in real life, the way he just he was just so laid back in that role, like it just fit him to a T. Oh, yeah. Like I said, when we get up, me and Dean, we we cut up, man. Like, I mean, like food fights, break dancing. You know, Dean is a fun. He's a really, really fun guy. He really is. And in that first episode with him and uh, John Seda, Mm -hmm. that first very first episode, like the, the way that they built that tension and. The way Dean's character just, you know, was. And, and John Sadie's character is one of my favorite characters, too, only because of, of the subversion. Yeah. You know, and you feel so much sympathy for his character in the in the beginning, you know, that it's just like it pulls you in. And then the way that it happens, you know, it, it, it it's effective. So I have to give that one to me also, because in the premiere, when I saw that episode at the very end, I had never seen the show before. And when I walked out the theater, I was like, yo, I'm in something really good. I mean, yeah, because I mean, the way it the way it set up, it was like he was going to be a mainstay, and yeah, then before yeah. you know it, at the end of it, he's burned alive, and then you're just like, "Whoa, there's nobody safe here on this." Like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and that was the thing. Like, it's not. It wasn't a matter of when. I mean, it wasn't a matter of if. It was a matter of when. Right. For for everyone. So, yeah. and, that, and and all of them hurt. Like it was rare that you. It, I mean, I guess there was times when you had deaths that happened that you were like, "Okay, that's a comeuppance." But most of the time, it was just <laughs> something that was just bad that just happened to somebody. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, before we get to your death on the show, what was it, it can be yours or anybody else's. What was some of your favorite storylines or arcs for the four seasons while you were there? What was some of your favorite storylines that you were involved mm, in? Mm-mm. Let me see. I liked. I had fun. I, I think I liked um, the Rick Fox storyline, the one with the basketball player where he yeah. came in. and Yeah. We would, yeah, we would, cause uh, that was kind of a turn. Oh, the boxing storyline was a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's that goes back to say again with Tom Fontana, because there was no reason, and he had no incentive to write Kenny into a boxing match. Yeah, but he did it for me because I, we just thought it would be so funny. Yeah. you know, this little guy <laughs> just in the ring, and even the, the scene where. O'Reilly, you know, he spikes everybody's yeah, drink. Yeah, he just up. walked up and he says, no, nah, I'm not going to even spike it this time. All of that was just, all of that came out of the characters, you know, like right. from, from Tom being like, you know what? I'm going to write that in there. 
let me do the whole Mike Tyson bite him on the ear thing. That was my idea, you know, and being all zooted up. Like, it was great. We had, like, a, a perfect amount of freedom on that show. But, yeah, the boxing the boxing match was definitely a great storyline. Um, I, 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 of course, I'm going to enjoy when my character got a chance to take over and be boss for a little while. Right. You know, and the riot, the riot was great fun. So, yeah, yeah we always had so much to do on Oz, man. It was just... Yeah, <laughs> that's that's cool. So when did you get the word that your character was going to be taken out of Oz? Um, let me see. Well, it was the first episode of the first season. I'm not sure if I got a phone call early on, but I don't feel like it was like a I mean, it was a little it was a surprise, but I was pretty much prepared mm-hmm. because also. Uh, me as a writer, also as a realist, you have to kind of look at as the show progresses, you know, you're going to want to kind of have more emotional cachet with the people that you lose. Right. A lot of people had already went already. And my character at the time was one of the last few, you know, quote unquote originals right. that was kind of left, you know. Yeah. So I kind of knew like in order to get that impact, it was going to have to come up soon. Yeah. So when when it when I, when I saw it in the in the premiere episode of the fourth season, I was glad that it was then because I'm like, that's the premiere episode. Everybody's going to see it. You know, everybody's going to care. Yeah. It's a big send off. So I was kind of good with it. And that was also that's the theater actor me, in me. The theater, theater actors, we love death scenes. So, right. you know, like yeah. as long as it's a good one, I don't mind dying in a, in a show. That's why I do do it so much. And you actually <laughs> got taken out. He wasn't even really a main character, right? It was somebody you guys were basically bullying. You stole his shoes and... You know, and then Adebisi left him the gun, and then he just cut loose there at the end, and you were, you know, a victim. Exactly, exactly. Like I said, I, I think it was really um, kind of a. I think it really had to be. It was a storyline, plot kind of thing. I think he, they needed that impact for the first episode. Yep. And I don't think, like I said, in the in the hierarchy, there weren't that many other characters, or at least he didn't want to waste those characters just yet. Like, because remember, um, Alvarez probably almost died about five times like oh, Alvarez is always getting stabbed up and- yeah that dude had like 15 <laughs> lives on that show yeah he was he just couldn't <laughs> die so other than him you know it was nobody else left and, and like I said I think um I, I took I usually like I said I take um my characters being killed off especially if it's with respect I take them very well and um I think it, it came out well and the way it was done with the whole um mass shooting up the whole uh, common room kind of thing. Right. Like I said, I, I felt like it worked. I felt like it worked, and I, I, I still appreciated my time. It was great. Now, one thing we get asked a lot here, if we know the answer to, and I've been told from from certain people, but I wanted to get see, get your take on it. Whenever you're on a show like this, are you per episode? Are you per season? Do you sign deals where it's multiple seasons? And when your character gets killed off, how does that work? So, like, just say if you did sign a two season deal. And fourth was your last season. You got killed in the opener. Do you get paid for the rest of that season? Or how does that work? Okay. Well, and, and I, like I said, I have to give it to Tom Fontana and HBO for, I believe, they pioneered and really perfected this kind of format uh, for this type of ability to be able to change the, the to have the show have flexibility. Right. Um, and what, what it is is, um, okay, so let's say it's a eight, eight, episode season right mm-hmm. so they may say okay well we're not sure exactly what we're gonna write 
but I'm sure I'm going to need you for at least five episodes. So I'll write in that you'll have five episodes. I don't know what five, right? but you'll have five. And then by the time they get around to the fourth or fifth episode, they kind of know whether they want to write more or Mm -hmm. whether they probably have to kill you off in the next couple of episodes. Right. And so that's how I think they do it from a writer's perspective. You know, they know how many episodes they they have you for, and then they're either going to ramp you up or ramp you down. Right. As far as we go, um, usually, I mean, like I said, I would guess, you know, I've always been shown respect and I'm guessing that, you know, anybody who gets the respect of their character, I mean, of, of as an actor and for playing a character, you know, they'll come to you maybe right before the script comes out or a little bit earlier and, you know, give you, you know, a, a talk, tell right. you, talk to you and explain to you, you know, why is it good for the character or, you know, talk it out with you. But usually you get some type of a, you know, notification. It doesn't just pop up on you. I mean, well, particularly if you're, you know, a regular or, right. you know, more so recurring. Um, but yeah, that's how it goes. You, you get a certain amount of episodes and then they'll adjust their margins as they see fit. So now do you, does your pay stop when your character character is killed off? Is that how that works too? Or does your, well, yeah, well you get, you get paid per episode and then, you know, whatever residuals come after that, right. <laughs> that's that. Right. Yeah. Cause I was, I was listening to, I think it's the Sopranos pod, talking Sopranos podcast with, uh, mm-hmm. Michael Imperioli and Steve Sharippa. And on that one, I think he said that they sign, they would sign some people to multiple seasons. So even if they did decide to kill him, like I think they signed Steve Buscemi, who came in in like the fifth season, they signed uh-huh. him for yeah. two seasons, but they wound up killing him off in the first one. And so he basically well, still got paid for the other one, even though he didn't have to do anything. Well, yeah, that, that's pay or play. Okay. Uh, so yeah, if you're somebody like who Steve Buscemi was at that time, right. I'm positive, yeah, he'll get it. I'm pretty sure Gandolfini had guaranteed, you know, oh, yeah. contract. E- Edie, I'm pretty sure she had. She yeah. was guaranteed. Who and was also was, in Oz as the? Uh, yep. uh, <laughs> yeah, she's come over. So certain people, I'm positive, had uh had pay or play contracts, you know, and were guaranteed. Um, even in Oz, I would guess that maybe, uh, for the simple fact that Harold's character was so integral. Right, I would guess that he would have had a a pay to pay a play contract. You know, he was there even um, after his Ernie character Hudson, got killed. Yeah, yeah, I'm pretty sure Ernie Hudson had a pay a play contract. You know, so certain people that they need for as staples, you know, are going to get it. Right, but um, yeah, but for the other moving pieces, you know, you usually keep it pretty lost. Like uh, even on the show that I'm on right now, like it's always been eight eight episodes, and I've signed for eight of eight. I mean, seven of eight every year just in case yeah something happens but like i said that's still a, a carryover from what i started so yeah. I, I i really yeah i see that going on still okay so you're off of oz now um about how long was it before the wire came along for you uh, uh let me see 98 uh maybe maybe two years maybe maybe two years yeah i think maybe two years because uh, as soon as I finished The Wire, um, I was blessed. I knocked out um, I knocked out a movie called Snipes. I knocked yep. out Pootie Tang. Yep. I knocked out... It was four films that I did right in that little little span. And then uh, The Wire came right behind it. So it was kind of like this, this, this steady role that I had. As soon as I came off of Oz, it was like I was doing these films. And I was still like kind of 
I think I was kind of weaning myself off of commercials at the time still too. Mm-hmm. So I was still doing films and commercials. Um, I, I did a bunch of guest spots. You know, I got did my first like couple of Law and Orders, Trinity, right. The Beat. And a lot of those shows also were very um, HBO Oz heavy, whether it was Barry Levison was producing those shows right. or whether they were just trying to mimic how, you know, Oz's tone kind of was. I think so, they definitely yeah, did. Yeah, the beat, you know, um, shows that people wouldn't even remember nowadays. Right, know? yeah, because Oz, I mean, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but wasn't that kind of like HBO's first series, episodic series? It was that, and then everything kind of followed after that, right? Well, yeah, well, it was the first. I get, I, I, I'm thinking it might have been the first, like, real drama. Yeah, yeah, real, yeah. Dramatic yeah. yeah. Because, I mean, when I, you know, growing up, I remember watching Dream On and right. Shannon Show. And, yeah, but nothing on the know. level of what Oz brought to the table yeah, for no, sure. So, yeah, I think Oz was definitely their first, you know, dramatic, you know, series. And definitely in that vein, like it definitely ushered in a new generation of television, period. You for know, sure. so. Well, now on The Wire, I'll ask you kind of the same question there as for Oz. Did you come in and read for Bodie right off the bat or were you, you know, in place for some other characters there as well? Yeah, no, Alexa Fogle, she knew exactly what she wanted and who she wanted for those roles. Uh, she had me come in and, and she sent me um, she sent me Bodie and I looked at it. And remember, I had just finished doing Oz for four years, playing this little badass punk mm-hmm. you know and so i was like man this looks like i'm gonna have to be worse than i was in oz and i'm like well what can happen to me worse than oz i'm like oh i'll probably end up standing on top of a cop car getting shot up or something like that so that's what i was thinking the character was gonna be like at first i'm like oh this is just gonna be a free kenny wangler like yeah. he's gonna be worse that's what i was thinking <laughs> in my head and so i said to alexa i was like um i saw another role i said look can i can I read for D'Angelo? Like, do you mind? Because, you know, it seemed like a nicer guy and, you know, yeah. more compassionate and kind of more relatable. And she looked at me and she just said, no. She said, no, this, you're going to read for Bodie. Yeah. <laughs> this this part right here is the part you're going to read for. And, you know, she's sweet. We talk a lot. So she can talk to me. She can talk to all of us directly like that, yeah. you know? Um, she, she's, she's changed all of our lives, you know, and always made great decisions for us. So we trust her, uh, implicitly pretty much. And, um, but yeah, I went in, I read that part and yeah, like the producers and everybody saw exactly what she saw, uh, you know, like I did, I did my job like I was supposed to, and it went right through, but yeah, it was, uh, I, I really wanted to give, uh, D'Angelo a shot, but she said, no, no, well, don't even bother. I mean, looking back, you know, given he didn't make it quite as long as you did either, but I think you probably, you were better served for Bodie, in my opinion. Out of those two characters, I think you probably fit Bodie a little better. Oh, sure. Well, my thing was that I didn't, I couldn't see the arc yeah. that the character was going on. Right. And then, yeah. like, also, like I said, I was kind of burned out on on Kenny Wangler, so right. I didn't really want to just go right back to playing a, a tough guy again, you know? Now, but at, like I said, by the time I got to about the third episode, I started to understand the character more. And then right. definitely by the time I got to the second season, I grew to like the character. Right. So now you've got The Wire here. And The Wire and The Sopranos have often kind of been like the, the Kobe and the Jordan of the TV shows. You have your 
one set of people that's got one at number one, the other at number two, and then vice versa. I think uh, right. former President Barack Obama even said that The Wire was his favorite TV show and that Omar was his favorite character. So that's how he said Omar and Bodie. Yes, uh-huh. and Bodie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we got a chance to send him some autograph stuff. That was great. Okay, that's cool. Yeah. So now, where where do you put? Let me ask you your question. Where do you put the top five TV shows of your opinion? Where where what's your top five? Mm. See, uh, uh, my mother is a television nut, so she raised me to be a television nut. So I'll try to keep it. Uh, I'll try to keep it simple. I'm definitely gonna put. I'm gonna put Oz in there mm-hmm. because if even if I wasn't in Oz, I probably would have ended up checking it out at some point anyway. Um, the Wire also. If I wasn't in The Wire, I probably would have ended up watching that at some point anyway. Uh, I'm trying to keep it in the realm of just, you know, drama, hour-long kind of shows that I think are phenomenal. Um, and as you made the analogy before about uh, the Kobe Jordan, yeah, so that would make Breaking Bad would end up being kind of the LeBron, yeah. you know. Yeah. <laughs> so, but... Uh, yeah, uh, favorite shows. Let me see. Um, I don't know why Quantum Leap is popping into my head right now. Um, and you know, I think I would have to always pop back to somewhere in the, in the '90s because nowadays uh, there's not a lot of shows for me that like hold my interest too tight. And uh, and I can't. Let me see. Well, as we as we go into conversation, I'll come up with with three more okay. <laughs> as they pop up. That's that's fine. Yeah, and I agree with what you said. It's hard nowadays to find TV shows that gripped you and got you invested in the characters like they did when The Sopranos was on, when Oz was on, when The Wire was on. About, I mean, the only one, and it's all fair now. They've got some spinoffs, but Power was pretty good. I got into the characters yeah. of Power. Um, that Power did cross my mind. I just, I'm just thinking in my head, like I had, I know that there has to be. Yeah. I don't know if I would throw that up there into that top five echelon just yet. It's definitely good. It's great. Um, obviously it's spawning off sequels left and right. So it's, they're doing something right. right. Um, the the sons of anarchy for me is in there. I like that. I don't know if you watched that show, but it was real good. I I, I caught, I caught a lot of it, but you know what? Every time people go there, it always takes me back to the shield. Yeah. The shield. Yeah. Well, a lot of guys crossed over there too. Yeah, I think I might throw the shield in there. Yeah, you Mike, know. Michael Chiklis, Walton Goggins, yeah. all those guys. Yeah, that was a that was a good show too. Uh, what Sean mm-hmm. Ryan done that, I think. So, yeah, mm-hmm. that, that was always a good one. So you start on the wire as Bodie. Now, if I heard, I'm not sure where I heard this, but I'll just ask you since obviously we're here with you in person. You walked around Baltimore kind of late at night just to kind of get a feel for the area when you first got that role. How how did that work out for you doing that? I mean, luckily it worked out fine, you know, and, and, you know, like they say, ignorance is bliss. So, but then also a part of it, I was just watching this uh, YouTube video. I think it was yesterday where someone was uh, rating Newark (laughs) where I'm from. Yeah. And they said, if you're born in Newark, then you probably don't, you're probably not afraid of anything. So that's partially true. So um, when I got to Baltimore, you know, like I said, a part of a lot of it does remind me of Newark, yeah. you know, so and I'm thinking I'm going to play this character tomorrow. This character seems pretty, you know, solid, reputable on the street. He is what he is. He's he's Baltimore. And I'm like, I'm going to go on this set tomorrow. And if somebody from across the streets, I know we're going to be shooting outside. If somebody from across the street, yeah, 
you ain't never been around Baltimore. I'm like, in my mind, I'm going to think they're right. So I can't go to set tomorrow and not have at least walk around here. Right. So I think I got into Baltimore at about maybe 10. I checked into my room. So at maybe about 11 or midnight, you know, I just threw on my hoodie, tossed it up. And I walked maybe maybe a mile or two, looked around, found a bad neighborhood, but it was still pretty active. Right. And like I said, I know I'm, it reminded me a lot of where I'm from already, so I knew how to stay out of the way. Right. And uh, but also I knew like where I was not where I was supposed to be. <laughs> right. <laughs> so I kind of definitely had to keep a low profile because you know the wrong person start asking the right questions, and yeah. I'm too far away from wherever I need to be. Yeah. And um. So, yeah, I did that. I, I observed um, what I needed to observe until I felt like I had seen enough. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then I then I made my way back to my hotel. <laughs> now, they did they have some, I guess, maybe negotiations with some of the gangs out there in the area to be able to shoot certain spots? Was that something that had to be done for them to be out, be able to come out there for and sure. shoot? Oh, for sure. For sure. And it wasn't anything, you know, backbreaking. I mean, really, right. really, all they really wanted was respect. Right. You yeah. know? Um, if we're we're using permits to shoot on those corners and they're like, you know, that's the corners where they stand at to do whatever it is they do, right? Then you know, there's some way that we have to replace what it is that they're missing out on, right? You know, and whatever you know, way that it was it was possible to legally, you know, accommodate them, the set would make make sure that you know, some people might have wanted to do background, be background, you know, right? Some people might have just wanted to you know, just, just feel like they could be a part of the set and, and be able to walk around, you know? So it was really being inviting more so than having to, you know, have these big negotiations where it's like, Oh, well, we're not going to destroy everything. If you don't do this, it wasn't that I think that, and also um, the security uh, he's from there. uh, Well-known, well-respected shout out to Perry. You know, he knew how to, you know, navigate those waters and make sure, you know, that everything was okay. But yeah, definitely. It was just more so about respect. And then once, you know, the show came out and they saw what we were doing, it was a little bit, yeah, a little, a little bit, bit easier. Yeah, a little bit more yeah. inviting probably at that point, I would imagine. Well, from the, yeah, and definitely from the citizenry, not from, because it's crazy because it, it was more inviting from the, from the authorities and the politicals when we first started. Right. Once the show came out, they were way less inviting. It switched roles on you. Okay. Yeah, yeah. By the by, about the third season, they were talking you know pretty bad about us. Yeah, and they, I mean they made it hard on you guys to shoot, wasn't they? Like they would try to shut stuff down and stuff like that, and hassle a lot of you guys. They kind of put a, a a damper on getting some of the shooting done, from what I understand. Yeah, yeah, they, yeah. They definitely, you know, they tried to get us a couple of times, but like I said, it was kind of a well, the city was a character of right. its own. Yes. So yes, they couldn't even they couldn't stop that character. So they, in essence, they couldn't stop the show. Yeah. You know. So. So going into this, it's always a big, you know, debate on which season is better. Everybody's got their own season. Um, what is your favorite season of The Wire? Um, I think I'm going to go with season three is my favorite season. Um, yeah, because it was like, you know, the Barksdale crew came back. And, yeah. You know, it was like all of this. um this, it was kind of all of this cohesion that everybody kind of got thrown off of in the second season, you know, and all of the, and it, it kind of tying up some ends and bringing in new characters and, and, and everybody understood their character better by the time we got there, you know, yeah. uh, Idris knew exactly what, what he wanted Stringer to be and 
Wood knew exactly what he what he wanted Avon to be, even though I think Wood already had a, a hold on exactly. Yeah, because Wood is that type of guy, you know. He's very, you know, very thoughtful into yeah. his characters and very quick like that. So yeah, he was zoned you know, in. People, yeah, and even even um Michael K. Like by the time we got there, when you say Omar, now you're thinking like, oh, now I know who he is because everybody else knows. So yeah, by the time we got there, we had kind of all felt like. Okay, we get these characters now and we get what people see these characters as now, you know. Mm-hmm. So even though that was when we still had that really small core right. audience, you know, until they put everything out all at once. Yeah. I I like season one. It's it's up there. I would probably agree with you. Three was the favorite because that's when things really started to ramp up and heat up and kind of, you know, get real serious. Uh I I wasn't a fan of two at first. But then after I watched the show and I went back and rewatched it again, I found a much more appreciation for season two. Um, yeah, so that, I, yeah, that's the way it is for, for most people. And that's great. You know, that's that's a testament to great storytelling and great writing because it's like a side story in a in a in a novel. Right. And it's like at first you're like, ah, I want to stick with the main story. Yeah. But then when you go back to it, it adds that written, richness where you're like, damn, this was going on. At the same time that this was happening. Exactly. And yeah, it just definitely added a lot of sauce to that cake. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, the same thing with The Wire that we talked about with Oz. I mean, you got Weebay, Avon, Stringer, yourself, Prop Joe, Slim, Cheese, Bunk, McNulty, Chris, Snoop, Marlo, Michael. I mean, just you can talk yep. for days and everybody again was just perfectly cast. Who was some of your favorite characters on The Wire? With some of your personal oh, favorites. Yeah. Well, my 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 top A one favorite character on the wire is Snoop. Yes, because that's Felicia that, Parsons, right? Yeah, yeah, yes. yeah. That character right there is my is I think it's if we were all authentic Baltimoreans and yeah, everybody wanted us to talk and act like Baltimore, like to a T, we all would have been acting like her, and nobody would have been able to understand a damn thing we were saying, <laughs> and. The show would have just been because she was so. I mean, well, the character that character was definitely written with her in mind. Period. Oh yeah. Um, she was hanging out on set for about a year before that came through, and then you know, I could tell how you know uh, how David you know could could see where he could fit that in. I think, then, I, like I said, I think I read her, Michael K. Williams brought her to the set. He spotted her in a club or something like that, and yeah, just he brought sure her. Did. Yeah, we were out, we were out together that night too. Yeah. <laughs> he sure did. Yeah, and she had a swag about her that, you know, he was just interested in, like, yo, you have that look. What's going on? What do you do? Yeah. You know? So, um, but yeah, she came and she was hanging around set, and everybody was just feeling energy. So when they wrote her in, and then that first scene that where she buys the nail gun. Yeah. And Felicia was not, was not an actor before this at all. And that scene, and that's my style. Like, I, I consider my acting style to be naturalistic yes and and my philosophy is just say the shit excuse my language no so that's my that's my whole that's the way i pretty much act and that's what i saw her doing and it was just so tight and believable the way she did it and then it's this and it explained how when people say how do you memorize your lines she went in there he told her everything you needed to tell her about the the gun the nail gun, and then she went back to the car and then regurg- regurgitated it right back to him. And I'm like, that is exactly how 
people in the hood. You don't know how intelligent they are. You don't know what they're about, what they can do. And the next thing you know, they just giving it right back to you. And, and you would have thought she wasn't really paying attention in, in the store. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> but yeah. yeah. And then she just hands great. him like what probably close to like double what the gun was. And he's like, I can't keep this side. Nah, you earned that buck like a motherfucker, man. Just keep it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, exactly. That was crazy. And um, so uh yeah, Snoop definitely one of my one of my favorite characters. Um I'm gonna have to give I I love the integrity of Avon mm-hmm. because because it never came back. Right. You know, once once his character was gone, that type of integrity wasn't in the show anymore yeah you know um i gotta give it to omar because he had some of the best lines also oh, yeah. oh bunk bunk is definitely one of my favorite characters also i love bunk yeah uh because they had like i said they have some some great lines they have some great lines yeah. you know i think stephen king has been quoted and obviously you know he's the horror guy you know the king of horror he said right. that felicia parsons character was the scariest female villain he'd ever seen on anything <laughs> yeah well and that's coming know, from him so that's that's holding some weight there <laughs> for him to say that that means that it had to be something that he didn't imagine yeah <laughs> so for him for him to say wow i can imagine all type of cthulhu hpat hp lovecraftian things but i never imagined a vicious ass you know lesbian stud girl in my life that could actually make me believe that she can get the drop on me. Exactly. <laughs> so, yeah. And that's what she brought to the table. She really did. She now, really did. That was, like I said, that was a great character. I loved it. I loved that one. Now, we spoke a little about Michael K. Williams earlier, and obviously he played Omar. It's a very memorable character, probably one of the baddest dudes on the show. And that's right. as most people know, if you watch the show, he was, in fact, a homosexual. So... When people read that, I understand a few people were turned off from that and they turned down the role. But when he took it, he took it and ran with it. Oh, yeah. I mean, he just he I I don't know if he just had it in mind from Jump Street. But do you know any other actors that passed on that role because of that? I mean, because obviously it worked out for him if if they were offered to anyone else first. I know Um, I I heard Lloyd Jamar was offered it and he didn't want to do it. Yeah. Yep. uh, And I spoke to him about that. Definitely. Um, I'm pretty sure it was a few people that were offered the role, but I don't, um, there was a certain, obviously there's a certain level of commitment that's going to come with that. And you can, you can go from, uh, from one to 10 in the character, but Mike was willing to go to 15. Exactly. You know, it was certain things that weren't written in the script that he was willing to bring to the character, you know, uh, with the homosexual aspect and with the, the, the gangster aspect of it also. Right. But I mean, obviously you have to make those two things to be able to come together. You can't, you have to be able to be able to kiss a man and then still scare a man at the same time. Exactly. You know? And that's not an easy thing to pull off. And the type you of know? show that you guys were on, you're like, well, if you're that way, then you're probably going to be that way all the way. But he done it. He done it both ways. And that's, I don't think exactly. there's very many people that could have pulled it off like that. Yeah, and I, and I think, like I said, it, it was another thing where, like, you know, Alexa, she saw, you know, that that was a role that couldn't take any type of hesitancy. You know, it couldn't. That that would have definitely came out in the character. And, yeah, uh, he, certain people have to have that type of comfortability. And if we look at, you know, all of his, even some of his subsequent roles, you know, 
he he excels in those yeah. types of you know roles because like I said, he can throw himself fully into it without any, you know, outside thought. You know, other other actors have a hard time putting that that aside, you know. Like even me myself, I can go, I've played gay characters, but my characters only, you know, actually do so much. Right. You know, it's only so much that I could bring to the role as far as authenticity where I know that the audience is going to believe it. Right. You know? So that I, I and I know my limits, you know. Um, but yeah, some people say, hey, I can give it my all. I can I can open myself up to anything and just go. And yeah, it take it takes a lot. But that's where Mike was and he jumped right into it. The part where he licked the dude up the back, <laughs> like I remember, I mean, I didn't know that that was gonna happen. And I remember watching it on television. I was like, oh, wow, Mike. Whoa, this is an actual love scene between you guys. So, yeah, there was a lot of things that, you know, was happening. And and, and even I think that um, the guy who was playing Brandon, his partner. Yeah. I think some of that stuff, I don't even think he was prepared for all of this stuff that Mike was going through. I mean, he was probably with it. He was open to it. Yeah. But I just don't think he was really ready, you yeah. know, for it. So, but yeah, you know, that's that's one of the things that made the show the show, man. Yeah. So now, like we talked about with Oz, there's, there's great character uh, arcs in there and, and plot twists and things like that. You actually, you, you killed off Creed's, Apollo Creed's son, Michael B. Jordan. <laughs> you, you you went ahead and put him an expiration date on there. What? Tell exactly. us about that. Oh, <laughs> uh, that was a, that was a great scene. It was a great night. Shout out to my brother, Michael B. Jordan. Shout out to my brother, Trey Chaney. Um, it was an emotional night. It was. I, I want to say Mike Mike was maybe maybe 16 or 17. He was something like that, somewhere around there when we did it. And um, he, was, he was very nervous. He was scared about not working again, you know, uh, that night. And, you know, it was like we, I comforted him. We told him, you know, I, I explained to him how, how deaths work. I, like I said, as a theater actor, you want to have a great death. Yeah. That's what makes people remember you. That's what makes people care about you. This is what I'm telling them. And we graduated from the same high school, so I'm just reiterating. Yeah. I'm telling them, like, you know, that's what's going to make people remember. And look at this. Listen to this. After what we did this year, when you die, when your character dies, people are going to say, who was that that played Wallace? Yes. And then they're going to look at the credits, and they're going to say his name was Michael B. Jordan. I'm going to look for that kid. Don't worry. You're going to trust us. People are going to love you after this, man. And he said, okay, you know, got it together. He listened to me. And uh, after we did the scene where we shot him, as soon as they call cut, after he slumped to the floor, he sat up and he put his hand in his head and he started crying. And so, you know, everybody, you know, we gave him the pats on the back. We tried to calm down, reassure him and everything. His mom came in. You know, it was real sad because, like you say, he was young. You know, right. if you don't know, if you don't remember, he had just did um, – hardball not yeah. too long ago yeah Keanu Reeves. and so you know it, it, he was very fresh you mm-hmm. know and he just wanted to work you know he was afraid yeah <laughs> so but yeah he 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 calmed down and look as soon as the show came out boom everybody's like who is that Michael B. Jordan kid what's going on and that's oh, how yeah. it happened but yeah that was a very emotional emotional night for everybody 
Um, me, I mean, myself, even the yeah. scene was just emotional, just like him standing yeah. in the corner, knowing what you're about to do. And you could tell you didn't really want to do it, but you knew it had to be done. And it was, you could just feel his fear in that scene. Yeah, I had a, I actually had a problem with the director during that scene. And I never, I never had problems with my directors really, ever. But, um, in that scene, the director wanted me to shake the gun more and, I just refused to do it. I said, no, I don't need to shake the gun, man. Like, I think I, first off, the gun is shaking in my hand a little bit. Yeah. Period. But second of all, I don't need to. Everybody should be able to tell that I feel bad about this and that I'm yeah. not comfortable with it. <laughs> you know, so if I'm, if I got to shake the gun, then I'm not doing my job. Yeah. You know, so that was the first time I actually had to tell a director no for something. But, uh, yeah, other than, yeah. And like I said, it was also, I wanted to keep the scene as realistic and as tight as possible. You know, if, if my character wasn't, if my character didn't spend all day getting prepared to do this, then what was the point? Right. So that was what, that was where I had my character in my mind. Like we spent all, I spent all day picking with this kid so I can do it to him. Spent all day looking at my boy so we can get ready to do it to him. Spent all day doing this. And now we're here. I'm still going to kind of, feel bad about it and break up, but there is no point of return right. after this. Yeah. So I'm not going to shake the gun to give people a false sense that it may not happen. Right. No, it's going to happen. No, I think you made the right call for sure. Um, Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so for the better part of four seasons, you never really had to do any time on the show. You pretty much stayed out of jail and out of, you know, out of lockup. Uh, I think you had a few spots where you got arrested, but you got right back out. Um, yeah. When did they give you the news on there that they were going to take out your character on the wire? When did you find that out? Oh, that was, that was great. Actually. Like I said, um, you know, like if you saw the kind of the decline of, of Bodie and how, you know, he was kind of by himself and yes, you know, all that stuff that was happening by the second episode, I already said to myself, because now son Charles is not wanting to help me. And yeah, the boy was walking off on me. So I'm already thinking in my head, like, look, Either, either you're gonna have you know Bodie figure something out and kill somebody, or you're gonna have to kill him. Yeah. So as the season was going on, and I started seeing that Marlo and Chris and Snoop were getting more power, and Bodie was becoming more and more alone, and all I had was a, a click full of little boys. Yeah. You know, I could see like he was out there by himself. So I started kind of preparing myself and. In a lot of my scenes um, in that fourth year, if you would notice, I was with the young kids a lot. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we would talk. I would talk to them about their scenes. I would talk to them about, you know, just, just work. And and I would mostly corral them to keep them kind of stable because, you know, they, they were very young. And yeah. They, you know, we'll get out of control. But, you know, we've been in the scene with me and I'm the one. So I would make sure that everybody stayed kind of, you know, together. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, And so. Uh, where was I going? <laughs> well, we were talking about you finding out that you were going to get killed oh, off. So now I see, I see that I'm going, that my character is, you know, kind of getting out of there. And I, it, we were, I would sit with the boys at lunch. Like when we were at lunch, I would sit with them, you know, in order to keep the camaraderie and keep everything going on. And, um, mm-hmm. Then one day David came and sat with us at the, at the kids table, you know? <laughs> so, and we started talking and he started talking. So he, he just asked everybody, you know, out loud. He's like, what do you guys think is going to happen? And they went around the table and the kid said this, that, da, 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 da. And then when he got to me, you know, I'm, I'm looking young, but I'm grown. 
Right. And I said, oh, I think Bodie's going to die. Everybody at the table was like, oh, he just said that to the writer? <laughs> like, they were like, why would you say that? Like, you know, and then I gave my explanation. And then, you know, David kind of was like, you know, yeah, okay, I see. I can see it. And he got up and he left. And then so when he left, they, you know, they were asking me questions like, how could you be so comfortable with that? Why would you say that to the writer? Da, 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 da. And I'm like, well, it's okay. You can be. And then I gave them the whole philosophy about, you know, your character and dying in the scene. And just, you know, if you build it up, that's good cachet. And right. so they kind of got that lesson from me there. And then uh, about the next week, um, David brought me in to his office. David and uh, I think it was Amina, another producer. They brought me in and they said, look, we're going to we're going to kill Bodie. But we want to, you know, send you off. Right. We want to do this. We want that. We want it to be a secret. And they like they made me feel really good about it, you know, like it mattered. And then they did the whole thing where they didn't write the pages into the actual script and they just sent them to me secretly. And so only myself and maybe like a, two other people knew that how it was going to even happen because it wasn't even in the script. Wow. You know? Yeah. So and it was great. Like, I felt like they handled it like the Secret Service, man. It made me feel really good. And when I shot the scene, you know, so many people that weren't working that night came out to set to see me mm-hmm. and to watch me shoot that last scene. And thinking about it now, like I, I loved it when it happened, but I can tell by the time I'm maybe about 50, I'll be crying when next time I tell you this, tell this story <laughs> <laughs> because I, I get more and more sensitive as I think about it now, because I appreciate it more and more as the years go on. Well, you spoke earlier, you said, you know, you don't mind dying as long as it's done with a certain amount of respect. And you definitely went out on your sword uh, as Bodie there. And a lot of people did from the wire. Like, I don't know a good way to phrase this, but y'all had some really good death scenes in the wire. If that makes any sense, like yours, oh, sure. um, Stringer, when he realized he was kind of stuck between brother Muzon and Omar, he's just like, Oh yeah, fuck it. Get on with it. You know, ain't nothing going right. to change y'all's minds. And then prop Joe, when he realizes he's fixing to come to it, Marlo's just talking to him so soft and so mm-hmm. calm, telling him to breathe. And then, you know, you don't see it, you hear it, but you know what happens. It's just all the kills on even Snoop when she was in Snoop, the car with yeah. Michael. I mean, she's just I'm like, yeah, how my hair look, Mike. I mean, it's just, you know, very, very memorable death scenes in there. And I don't know. Yeah. It was just. Well, I think, it, yeah, that, that that's also, you know, a big testament to David trying to make sure that he keeps the, uh, the Greek tragedy, you know, uh, element in there, you know, to where. All of these things happening also they mean something, you right. know. Like a lot of times he wanted he wanted these deaths to mean something. It was very it was it was very few. And, and the funny thing is that was the juxtaposition because the very first scene is about this dude getting killed over taking money from a dice game. Right. That he does it all the time, and people let him do it all the time. <laughs> you know, so it's like. For something, but for nothing, but for something, right? You know, and so that's that's how I think that was the approach that he always had with the death scenes. Like they could be over something big, but we're gonna make it matter. But or it could be over something small, but it's gotta seem like it matters. But then in the grand scheme of things, it's still not really going to matter, and that's the tragedy of it, right? You know, like I remember one of the most what the the death scene that I say that caught me off the most. The most brutal death scene, I think, was the one where Chris beats the guy to death. Yeah. In the, the yeah, with that his bare hands. Yeah. yeah. But the scene where 
the guy comes and shoots fruit in the head when he's walking from the club. I was yes. not expecting that at all. And it was just like this giant splatter that came out of nowhere. And I was like, whoa, I wasn't expecting that. And that's so, yeah. when Slim hit cheese right there at the end. I wasn't expecting yeah. that to happen either. Not, yeah, not when true. it did anyway. Not not at that particular time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true too. Yeah. I mean, like, but like, like I always felt like, because we always feel like cheese was kind of a, a jerk. So at some point. Oh, yeah, he, he had to get it. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> but. We just didn't know how. So, yeah, but, yeah, some of the deaths on there were totally, you know, surprising. And a, a lot of people I see get mad at, you know, the uh, the, the Omar death. But um, I feel like that was fitting, personally, you know. I yeah, feel like. It's, cause it's, it's debatable because who is worthy of being yeah. the one to get him? It's kind of no. like the. The Sopranos were like, you don't really have a good ending, so you do what they did with that show. There wasn't a good way to write it, one of you guys killing Omar, you know, because he had spent the whole show outsmarting people and getting away with it. Who better than to give it to somebody that you would never expect? Yeah, and and that was the only way we could see it. I could see it. So, like I said, like, even if this was polarizing, if it would have been anyone else, it would have been even more so. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah, so that... Yeah, that I know that's a uh, point of contention with people, but like you said, I, I think he I think he played it right on there. Um, some of the other things that people don't realize about this show, and I mean, some of the diehard fans do, but a lot of the characters that some of you guys were based on actually were in the show. Uh, what the bishop, or wasn't he the bishop or the the deacon or something there? Yeah, uh, he was in it. Um, now he was based no, off what Avon, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Young Mel, uh, Melvin, young little Melvin was in it. Um, the actual Bodie Browdis, he he had a scene in it. Uh, he played back around once. The real the standing, Omar, uh, he was standing next to me. As a matter of fact, he was standing next to me. Okay, now the real <laughs> Omar was also in there too, right? He was actually like one of Omar's guys. I think he got shot in the head when they went in that apartment at the end. Wasn't that the real Omar? Yeah, I, I think yeah, I think so. It was yeah, it was like I said, it was full of Baltimore actual real. Baltimore Legends, the same way actually um, that as the as the wire kind of, you know, was an extension of the corner, per se. Right. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And so, you know, the dude who the, who the corner was based off of, you know, he was in that. And a lot of a lot of actual people that were based into that that story were in there, too. So, yeah, he, like I said, it was also one of the main things about the show, uh, going back to how we were talking about how. You, we would keep the local, you know, um, dealers and the local guys at bay, right. or at least cool. It was the same thing for people who were basically, you know, the basis of the amalgamation for these characters. You know, you just have to show people, you know, respect, you know, and some type of care because these is their stories. You know, these are the things they actually got a chance to survive through, probably right. in order for us to even tell the story. So you have to you have to pay that type of homage, you know. Right, yeah. You gotta come with a certain respect for the character you're playing because you're not just that's not something that somebody made up on a page. That's that guy's real life. Right, yeah. yeah. So you're coming off of uh the wire now. Which which set of uh shows did you like working on best? Did you like The Wire? Did you like Oz or were they both kind of unique in their own way because it was kind of where you broke in? Which one is kind of your yeah. favorite? Well, definitely. Well, like I, I, I always say <clears throat> that Oz is more like college 
And, you know, The Wire was more like undergrad. Right. You know? So that's how it feels because it was definitely a total graduation. And Oz was definitely like, you know, like my little kid playground. You know, I went from, you know, a drama school where I'm acting in, in a class that I have dedicated at least two hours to, you know, play around with my friends to write to a show where I'm doing the same thing basically with some of the greatest actors, you know, that I've ever seen. Right. You know, so it was, it was that, that's going to have a special place for me always, you know, like I, I, I was there from 18 basically to 22 or 19 to 22. So that was my college years, you know, pretty much. And uh, yeah, so much happened on that set and I learned so much on that set that, you know, it's, it's like watching it is like watching home movies, you know, so that's cool. When your character gets killed off in these shows, do you finish watching them as a fan? Do you finish them out? Uh, if I can, because well, what it is is that usually anything that I'm in, I'll probably just watch it like once, right? And then, I mean, like unless it's something that I see myself do that I kind of want to study, mm-hmm. I, that's the only time I watch something again or or study or you know stare at something. Other than that, usually you know I have a semi semi photographic memory, so if I see something and I'm good with it. I really don't have to look back at it again. Well, as far so, as like, as far as like the wire, like when you got knocked off, did you finish up like the last season when you weren't in it? Did you watch it as a fan at that point? I went, I went back later, but I, I didn't, I didn't watch it immediately. Right. But at the time, like I said, I wasn't even watching the show yeah. at the time it was on when right, I was exactly. on it. You know, I would just catch it, watch it and then, you know, go on. So, I'll so look. like once I'm not on it, yeah, I didn't really, my schedule kind of stretched out. More right. and more, you know, yeah. like Oz, like I, I didn't, I didn't go back to watching Oz. I I think I might've tried to watch the fifth season a little bit, but I never finished, you know, Oz, you know, after, like once I, once I was off of it and right. the, uh, the Wire, yeah, of course I checked it out to see how, you know, the performance was going, but I don't think I finished the, the fifth season of that either okay. yet. <laughs> I know some people kind of put that in along the lines of like a relationship, you know, once the relationship's over, it's you move on to the next relationship and you kind of leave that where it's at. You don't want to revisit it. So a, lo- a lot of people yeah, well, are different. <laughs> yeah. Well, like I said, for me, it was just a matter of, you know, it, it wasn't a, it's not a personal thing. Right. It's just that I would just catch stuff the way I would catch it yeah. normally. So I just was taking my time just getting to it, you know. So after that, I mean, you stay working pretty steady, and you you touched on it earlier. You're actually in a show right now with Saints and Sinners. Is that right? That's correct. That is correct. And they're in what season are you guys in now? The, the fifth? You're going into the oh, fifth? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Last This last one that went by was the fifth season. Uh, we don't know. Well, I haven't heard that we are doing a sixth season yet, but I haven't heard that we're not. Right. So and that's, uh, that's on, still up in the air. That's on what? The Bounce? Is that the network that's yeah. on? Okay. Bounce TV, yes, it is. Um, yep, Sarah and myself, Clifton Powell, Vanessa Bell Calloway, um, Keith Robinson, Christian Keys, Jasmine Burke. Uh, yeah, it's, it's a lot of young young black talent, you know, and and some a couple of veterans. Which I guess myself, I'm a, I'm a veteran now too. I guess. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, Clifton and, uh, Powell's great man. I've I've loved him for years watching him. He's one of them guys that can play. You know everything from like his role in Dead Presidents to Pinky in the Friday one of whatever Friday movie that was. I mean, he can do it all. Yep, yep. Cliff is one of those people. Like I said, like there's certain people that 
that throw everything into their characters, you know, right. that don't that don't hold back, like <clears throat> that don't have to be tailored per se. Right. You know, they just go. And that's how, how he is. You know, it's just it's very super raw. And, you know, some people's instincts are just always great, you know. And so I think that that shows, you know, like a lot of times, you know, we think about Pinky and we think like things, things like that. But like just the understatement of the role he played in Ray. Like, yeah. I always think about that. Like, I'm like, man, he was right next to Jamie Foxx. Like, a lot of times people cannot get Oscar wins if they don't have somebody to play off of. Oh, yeah. And yeah. so, yeah. And so I feel like he was a very big part in Jamie having that character, you know, to play off yeah, of. Somebody I mean, he to did, bounce obviously off of. he did phenomenal. Yeah, obviously he did phenomenal as Ray, you know. Yeah. He, that was amazing. But, yeah, like I said, actors, we know that our partners are, are important, too. And I think that he was so strong in Ray, you know, I think it definitely, definitely added to Jamie's performance. Yeah, I see his scene, and you, you might know which one I'm talking about, but it's that show with Charles S. Dutton. Was it Rock? R-O-C? Yeah. Where, oh, when they, where he's when he like the drug the, dealer? Oh, yeah. That's... It, Man, that's good, man. That's good stuff. Yeah, and because it seemed that seemed real. That seemed like two OGs. Yeah, about to really get into it. And um, was that was that the live show? That might have been the live one. It might have been the live one. Yeah, because you could hear people in the background. Yeah, that might have been the live one. Yeah, well, because uh, I know they did. Well, either way, yeah, and he was threatening Rock's life and yeah. the whole thing. Yeah, that was that was yeah yeah. Clifton Clifton has like some iconic things. He brings. It, you know what? Some people just have that presence. Yeah. And that intensity, you know, I try to I try to cultivate that. And luckily, I do have a little bit of it for my stature that I yeah. can get away with it. That's why people like, you know, they say, OK, if his character is tough, I believe him. Right. So it takes that. But but some people just, you know, when they walk in the room, you just know that they are lying. You know, it's yeah. just like, oh, man, like regardless, he, like he might be a nice guy, but I don't even want to find out. Right. It's kind of like uh, <laughs> Joe Pesci. You know, he's got that, too, because he can go from playing the bumbling crook from Home Alone to the gangster to stabbing people with pens and casino to yeah. back playing gone fishing with Danny Glover, two bumbling guys trying to make it to a fishing trip. I mean, yeah, that was great. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> well, I mean, I think that about wraps it up, man. What if you got anything coming down the pipe here in 2021 that people can be looking out for? You got any projects uh, in the yeah, works? Well, I'm always on the indie scene. I'm always uh, producing, if not directing or starring in something. Mm-hmm. Um, I got a little short right now making the indie film uh, rounds in the um, at the festivals called Bruiser, directed by young Miles Warren. He's a young director that's coming up. You'll, I'm pretty sure you'll, you guys will see him in the future. Um, I'm working on something with Trey Chaney soon called Scam City uh, that he's producing that we're going to knock that out. Uh, I have a couple of my own projects that I like to work on that I'm working on that hopefully you guys will see soon. Uh, yeah, I just like this, you know, I'm just stay busy, man. You see, I got to just keep it rolling. Hopefully we come back for a sixth season of Saints and Sinners because our audience, you know, seems to love it a lot. That's great. And, um, yeah, man, I'll be around. I'm still doing, I'm doing, um, coaching now, acting coaching. Yeah. Yeah, I did see that on your Instagram. Yeah. Anybody wants to check out, you know, my acting coaching class, um, email my, uh, go check my Instagram for the details, the real JD Williams. Get at me. But yeah, man, it's just about staying busy, being a dad, you know, raising my little girl. She's great. She's talented. She plays my daughter on, on the show that I'm on. Okay. She plays my, my actual daughter plays my daughter. So if y'all get a chance, check that out. Um, but yeah, man, everything is, is great going on. Oh, 
And one more thing. This is for all the Breaking Bad people. You know, like another reason why The Wire trumps Breaking Bad is because Breaking Bad is completely fictional. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) That's all. It's completely fictional. I think anytime you have a show that's based off real people, people can relate to it a little bit more for whatever. When you know it's based off real people that did at least some version of what you're watching. I know things are fabricated for, you know, the TV and the Hollywood and the movies and things like that. But if you know, there's real guys that went through a lot of those situations you're doing, it seems like it's a lot relate more relatable to the audience. Yeah, more, more relatable and way less plot holes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I was a fan of breaking bad. I actually didn't get into it. Um, I think it was like in the middle of the third or fourth season, and a buddy of mine, he actually co-hosts the show with me. He kept telling me, he's like, man, you got to watch it. You got to watch it. Yes, I forced that's my, how my brother was. I forced through the first season, and it was okay. I wasn't blown away. Kind of same, same with the second. But when the, the guy come in with the chicken, the, it was just like, man, it was like a drug. I was in front of the TV, and I watched everything that was available until the time, and then I think it was on its last season. And so I was having to wait weekly for the new episodes to come out. Oh, but, wow. When he See, came that in, was, was my, crazy. That, that's exactly my process, except that I did not, go, I didn't make it to the third season. I made it to the end of the second, and then my brother told me to push through. He said, yeah. go ahead, man, go. Because you know why? And it, not to make this a Breaking Bad podcast, but what happened was the characters, the female characters in that first and second season were so horrible, man. They were annoying and evil and non-supportive and just messing up everything. The only female in the whole first season that was even useful or nice or anything was the crack was Jesse's crackhead girl. (laughs) And you know, and she was the only one that was about shit. That was about anything. And she ended up getting killed, you know, but it was, but yeah, the whole show was, and then my, my thing is also is the same thing with Dexter. You start out good, but then you just start using conveniences to start getting away with things, and that's what I don't like. Yeah, yeah, Dexter. Um, which I, they're actually coming back with a. a I know a I wanted to check it out, but I had to drop out of Dexter too because it started. He started getting too lucky. I'm like, yeah. come on, man. Yeah, there ain't been so many times you can get away with that, and then I don't even know if I watched. I watched the final season because it was the final season. The season before that, I think I had Edward James almost in it. I was kind of tuned out at that point. To me, it, it peaked early in the second season. There wasn't mm-hmm. much on the TV that was better at that point in time. It was just when Dokes knew he was the killer and kept following him around the whole season, it, it yeah. didn't get much better than that. My, well, but, well, the funny thing is that I caught it back when Blockbuster was still open. It was yeah. one of those, it was, it was a set of DVDs that I was actually renting to watch. Yeah. So I was binging it. I was binging it from Blockbuster at the time. <laughs> That's why by the time I started getting to the last part, I was like, what's happening? What is happening here? <laughs> so I, one thing we like to ask people on this show, you know, what advice would you give now, being that you've went through all that you went through, your your shows, your movies? everything what advice would you give a young up-and-coming actor in today's times because this is it's totally different from when you were coming up i'm sure and covid has probably only complicated that worse but what would you what advice would you give well like you said things are a little bit different the first what i normally and what i would usually just tell anyone in anything you know something my dad told me and made sure that i knew is to be persistent and consistent Keep hitting the same spot the same way. 
you're going to break through, you know, whatever's going to happen. Just keep doing it the same way, the same, just be consistent and you'll make it. But then also nowadays, like you said, uh, a lot more people, young people have a lot more control, you know, um, because of the phones, because of social media. So if you want to do it, do it, start doing it yourself, you know, record yourself, practice on your camera with with your phone, practice your angles. Um, write, you know, learn how to produce, learn how to learn how to create, you know. Um, and that'll be the I think that'll be the best advice for right now would be be consistent, persistent, and then learn how to create. Yeah. And I mean, don't think it can't happen to you. I mean, all you need is one video that you do to go viral and you can roll from there. That's it. it. That's it. Like, um, like I there's certain things that I definitely, definitely use for inspiration. Um, one of the things is do you did you did you see last year when uh the kids in Africa were redoing the Hollywood movie trailers with their little bit of resources? Yes, yes. And that's what I'm saying. It's it's amazing. All it takes is some imagination and some confidence because you know if you think it's cool, more than likely other people are gonna think it's cool. Right. <laughs> you yeah. know, so yeah, you kind of have a feel for what your age group finds appealing, and that's like when I started this podcast. Originally, I was going to go into true crime, and I was like, you know, that's not. I like aspects of true crime, certain cases, but I like entertainment too. So that's why I came up with crime and entertainment because I'm like, I don't want to be boxed into just true crime. I want to be have a platform where I can sway to talk to guys like yourself, where you cover both these things. You covered shows where there was crime, but it was also it was entertainment. So it kind of it fits perfect into what we're trying to do here, and that's what people have to do. They have to find their avenue they want to go and just you know, hammer down and go through it 100%. Right. Well, this is a great show. Great platform, man. Like I said, I want to thank you for having me. You know, um, I'll be, I'll be happy to come back anytime. Absolutely. So that was great, man. We enjoyed it. Uh, well folks, there you have it heard here on crime and entertainment. This video will be uploaded to our YouTube channel. You can follow along on all the major platforms or on Spotify, Apple podcast, Stitcher, Google. If it's out there, we're on it. Uh, you can like us on Facebook, follow us on the Instagram. And with that being said, that was JD Williams. I am Hollywood Wade and we are out of time. JD, it was a pleasure having you on my friend and we wish you nothing but the best going forward in anything that you do. Thank you, sir. Thank you as well. You as well. Stay well. Thank you. Have a good night, my friend. God bless. Well, boy, oh boy, that was a fun one sitting down with J.D. Williams. Quite a guy, quite a character, quite the life. I mean, to start at such a young age in such a show like Oz, I mean, that had to be some great experiences as a young actor. Uh, I guess you could say cutting your teeth, but, I mean, what do you think? What If your first acting role was in a prison being getting that kind of things done to you. How would you react to that? Well, I mean, that's gotta be something that would stick with you for sure. Hey, it's a paycheck. <laughs> We're not out here doing charity, man. We're trying to get paid and make a living. And he's made quite a living. I got to point out getting hooked up with the right people and being a nice person where the right people bring you on when they do other projects. You clearly see how that can pay off for years. Literally. Actually, I couldn't have said it better myself because, you know, like you said, he's in Oz. They call him back for Bodie and The Wire later on. And you see that throughout a lot of stuff. Even in today, 
you know, one of our favorite shows coming up and actually JD Williams mentioned it as well. in the interview was the shield. Now that was the FX show, you know, written by Kurt Sutter. And he went on to do obviously another one of my favorite shows, sons of anarchy. And a lot of the same guys from the shield branched over the sons of anarchy, no doubt because they were mm-hmm. all close. So you make those connections and you never know where that can lead you. So all those guys on the shield, you know, obviously that was a good show as well, but it had no idea they were going to, you know, bounce over to Sons of Anarchy and for it to go on to have the success he did. So you never know where one role is going to lead to the next role, you know, especially right, in right. this industry. I got to point out again, being cool to deal with, even in Hollywood, nobody likes Matt. So <laughs> that's the moral of the story I was uh, trying to spit out here. I'm not sure I did a good job at it. Me and my analogies are bad tonight. <laughs> Well, I'll, I'll put it like this. When we went over in the interview and I asked him, I said, you know, it was a long time, long time story that if you were ever late to a, a shoot or you forgot your lines or you were just a pain in the ass to deal with, you were getting thrown in a rape scene. And there was some brutal rape scenes in Oz. I mean, but powerful characters in there as well. I mean, Adam BC was just so damn good at that role. Mm-hmm. I don't know if he, like I, we talked about it a little bit with JD Williams, but he must've brought so much extra to that, like the hat and just the way he walked. Right. I mean, he was, he just fucking killed that role. 100%. Everybody killed it. Ryan O'Reilly killed it. You know, Ryan Saeed. O'Reilly <laughs> Ryan O'Reilly had a damn soul to back him up. And that man never got better. Obviously he was on call for every damn <laughs> acting class or whatever they had in rehearsals. <laughs> He ain't never missed shit. He stayed. He got there forty five minutes early because he ain't never got fucked with. <laughs> oh man, what are those old HBO DVDs? What I could pull about watching. Remember they used to put the fuller scene in the main menu of an episode. Yeah, <laughs> they completely ruined the episode for you on HBO. They did that on all their series for a little while until so they got the memo. Cut it out. <laughs> I don't know who made that decision. And Horrible he, decision. So that's a deep cut. <laughs> and even some of those boxes, if you remember back in the day, those seasons, at least of Oz, were only like, what, eight episodes, I think, for yeah. a season? Yeah, they were short. Yeah, mm-hmm. they were short. And then I know third, the third one, I don't know if it doubled up. I don't know if that was during the writer's strike or why that was or if they bumped it up you know, on purpose because I think it fell back down the following season. But the third one probably was one of my favorites because that's when the new warden came in after they kicked out McManus. The guy, I, I, his name escapes me, but he had Ernie that really Hudson. distinctive voice. Right, they kicked out Ernie Hunts and they bought in the guy who Quern's. Quern's. I can't remember his name, and it was weird going back and seeing a movie. I think it was Return to Mac from the seventies, and be like, "That's Quern's." As a yeah. younger version. <laughs> well, well, Quern's was also in the wire. Also, he was uh, helping Carcetti mm-hmm. with his campaign for mayor. So again, you know, keep those good connections because you never know where that's going to bring you on to your next job. And so many, right. just so many memorable characters in Oz. I mean, you can go on for days talking about it. I really hated the show had to end. I thought they did a good job, but it, I, my personal opinion, when they lost Saeed, or not, not Saeed, excuse me. When they lost out of BC, the show lost a little something. It was, he was kind of that main it bad is. guy. I thought it lost it a is. little something. Still a great show. You know, it was carried well, but I definitely think that, that losing him was a tough time. I don't know. It could have been contractual disputes. I didn't get into that with JD. Now looking back, I wish I had it, but why the, uh, the path was chosen to take out of BC off. I, I'm curious about that. What do you think? I know he was just doing too much. You had to do something with him. Normally, uh, it's 
become a trope now on TV. When somebody gets a lot of screen time in an episode or season, something might happen to them. Yeah. If you start getting um, the highlights, you might go. Kathy, by the way, with Corn. Martin Corn is played by Reggie Kathy. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I mean, and great voice too on that guy. Now he's he's passed away now, so so rest in yeah. peace to him. But and I think poet, you remember poet from the show? Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I haven't thought about his names in a little while, but yeah, yeah, well, yeah. yeah. And he mentioned he's actually passed away too. So a few guys, you know, have, have passed away. But again, you, we talk about this show like we watched it last week, but it's it's twenty some years yeah. ago. You know, twenty five yeah, years ago. <laughs> a little bit of the maybe old one or so. I'm not sure how long it ran. I got the internet in front of me. Yeah. And then sure. we don't want to act like it's just all about Oz because this man went on to do the wire and the wire again, HBO's casting department. Just, uh, they just need to go on and just give themselves a pat on the back because they nailed all this. And this is, I'll include Sopranos even there. You know, they just casted all that shit. Perfect. I can't imagine anybody else in any of those roles. And the wire, especially with so many memorable characters there, you got Avon, Stringer, you know, Prop Joe, mm-hmm. Brother Muzon, Marlo, Chris, Snoop. I mean, it was just it was crazy. Snoop, you know, was actually spotted by Michael K. Williams, who plays Omar, you know, in the show. <laughs> and Stephen King is quoted, and we said this in the interview, Stephen King is quoted as a saying she was the most scariest female villain he had ever seen in his life. <laughs> Snoop and Danny Trejo, I say, had the same words. Like, there's no acting school that's going to teach you that level of uh, authentication, if you will. <laughs> you don't just play that. You don't put that on in the morning and take it off at night. <laughs> Snoop, the hit woman. That is oh, real man. as it gets, folks. The, the scene was- where she's in there buying the nail gun and she's talking to that dude. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I was, that, it was blown away. And then, and just the way she delivered it all, like you said, there wasn't no acting. After they yell cut, you don't hear a different voice. You don't see different mannerisms. <laughs> what you see is what you get with her. And, and even in death, she knew it was about to come. And that's probably the first vulnerable thing that she showed through that whole series is she just asked Mike, how's my hair look, Mike? And then he went ahead and blew her head off. That was probably yeah, the most vulnerable you ever seen. It's like I've said, those season three and four of that show is some of the greatest things I've seen ever in a TV series. On um, the front half of the interview, I was talking about that. And it was season four <laughs> where it happened. Excuse me, I'm still watching the chicken legs now. Oh, but <laughs> but oh, to finish up, I started, ran 97 to 03, and Wire kicked off in 03. So that's how that went. So back-to-back great television there. A great time to be an HBO fan. You just don't see television like that anymore. I mean, I don't know what you think. I don't know what shows are on your, you know, DVR or watch list right now, but you just don't see television that, where the characters grab you like that these days. Okay, let's keep it in the, I guess, the crime, the street genre. That show you all loved. I haven't watched that came on, uh, what did it run like? Five seasons here? Just wrapped up. It's got 50 spinoffs. <laughs> You're talking about power. Power. Okay. Everyone is nuts over power. I missed that one. So how does it compare? Power is good. It's definitely the wire esque. Um, you've got some great characters in there as well. Amari Hardwick's in there. Uh Joseph Sakura's in there. He plays Tommy Egan. He's getting his own show coming out. Obviously, 50 mm-hmm. Cent, you know, uh, he's got his own spinoff of off of it. There, 
he did something right. I guess he quit it at the right time because they've got spinoffs for days off that. So I guess you quit one <laughs> cash cow and trade that in for five more cows. Uh, so that's 50 doing something right there. He might not put out the hits on the vinyl or the, the records anymore, but he's damn sure putting them out on the TV shows because I am a big fan of that. Um, oh, I yeah. think sometimes you have to have some time after a show has come out to get that rewatchability, that legacy mm-hmm. factor, if you will. Uh, like I said, yeah, these yeah. these shows that we're talking about now are 20-plus years old. So we'll see if power holds up to the weight. But it's, it's a very good show. If you get time, I recommend you watching it. I was a little late to the party. I think I come on when season three was about to premiere. And when I first put on season one, I flew through one. I flew through two and was current You know when three was coming out. And I was a fan ever since. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, it, I mean, I was late to so many of these hot shows. Um I, I'm thinking I was watching Oz when it started in 97, but <clears throat> The Wire, Sopranos, I came to late. I think I caught Sopranos while it's still on. Um, Little Anarchy was famous for that. I think I came back around in season three on that show. It's just one of those things, you know, when they kick off, you don't know how big they're going to be in the zeitgeist, how right. big pop culture-wise they're going to be. And some shows just get so much noise on them. You're like, okay, I'll check this thing out. That's what happened with like Game of Thrones, the noise in my circles was just so loud. I was like, I submit. You twisted my arm. I'll watch whatever this is. <laughs> and see, I, I'm no, I wasn't a fan of the Game of Thrones. I'm, I'm not, and I know I'll get, I might get some flack for this, but I'm not a fan of anything set in like older times. You could twist my arm. You could blow out my kneecap right. with a ball peen hammer. Put one in the back of the fucking head. I'm just not going to sit down and watch this. I can't. I, I can't do it. It's just that. I understand, pal. There's, there's no requirement to. <laughs> I, I, think, I won't force you. <laughs> in fact, a good friend of ours, uh, Jonathan Taylor, wasn't we together and y'all forced me to watch the first episode. And I just, I think I, I remember that. I left I and that. I went to the fridge and just started drinking because I was hoping that would might make the episode be better. And it didn't. I just wound up getting <laughs> plastered and uh, really don't even yeah. remember. But yeah, it's just not my thing. I like, you know, new age stuff that I can relate to, relate to the characters, get invested and the characters, and that's that's one of the things that those shows had. You got invested in the character. You wanted to tune in to see what happened to him. And, you know, it yep. wasn't just one guy. There was a lot of people. You wanted to see what the mayor did. You wanted to see if the cops caught him. You wanted to see if the drug dealers got away. You know, you wanted to, you were just so invested in all those. You were, it was, can't miss television. And you just don't see much of that these days. Even with the spinoffs from Power, they don't quite have that same, I got to be there Sunday to watch it type feel power did. Yeah. I was hooked on that. I, I never missed a Sunday on power itself. The spinoffs. I'll be honest. I usually wait until I get about five or six episodes out and then I can just binge watch them. So I just, I don't get yeah, that yeah. hooked feeling, you know, with TV nowadays in general. Yeah. Same, same. I am not watching anything crime wise too heavy. Uh, I mean, we're in other genres like a horror or something like a Hannibal. There's not a lot of street crime, which I still love, uh, that I'm really checking out. I guess power would have to be where I go for that bit at some point. Yeah, right now, that would probably be your your best show to check out. And speaking of the horror genre, as we wrap this show up here, we were able to go ahead and get that interview in with Lisa Wilcox, the star of Nightmare on M Street 4 and 5. So I think that'll be coming to you next week here on Crime and Entertainment. It was a fantastic interview, a lot of insider stuff that she gives us there on the filming of uh, part four and five with director Rini Harlan, who I know you're familiar with. He done die hard Two, mm-hmm. cliffhanger, mm-hmm. long kiss. Good night. A lot of guy films. 
Ray came in with such a bang. He made his money and he got out of town. <laughs> yeah, she said he, he was living in Japan, I think, and showed up for the 30th anniversary screening of Nightmare 4. Bob Shea, you know, showed up as well. So that would have probably been a fun time for all those guys to get back together because that really kicked Rennie's career off, you know, going into Nightmare 4. And he damn near pretty much accredited of turning Freddy into an action star, the star that he was. And then he left, and, yeah, you know, went yeah. all done all those other movies. So that, that launched his career for sure. So be sure to tune in to that next week. Um, well, that about wraps it up for this week. Jaeger, what'd you think about Mr. JD Williams interview here as a whole? And you know, what's some of your closing thoughts on the shows that we talked about today, like the wire and Oz, what, what's some of your closers? I'll start with your interview. Another fantastic, yeah, another fantastic job at the interviewing process. It's fun to see you grow into the interviewing role. Isn't week it? by week. You keep getting those reps, keeping those snaps. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's getting a little easier at first. You know, I was a little nervous. You know, you got a few butterflies, but then you realize these these folks are just people just like you. They've just acted yep, and, yep. you know, have a whole hell of a lot more money than me. So, I mean, but other than that, they're still people. <laughs> you know, you know, when you get the fancy lights, the fancy cameras on you, you can look a little different. <laughs> you strip all that away. Yes, see, they're just people. So, Interview is fantastic. As far as this whole crime genre, I know it is a hugely successful genre. It's one of those things like when uh, people used to sing along with these, or people going to Trader Joe's and singing like rap lyrics about murder and drugs. It's just one of those things with the disconnect there. Like you're so wrapped up in the entertainment of it all. You're not really taking it as, hey, I want to go do that. You know, it's just <laughs> completely the stories and characters that get you just take you on this ride and you just go along with it. And I've always been fascinated, obviously, with crime stuff and crime stories, those stories from the dark end of the street. And it's like the dark end of the street can be littered with green paper sometimes. <laughs> Absolutely. Like uh, one of so, my yeah. favorite rap albums of all time, Shine, his first rap album. He's got a, a few lyrics in there where he says, I'm rocking sideways, motherfucker crime pays. And mm -hmm. <laughs> that is never rang true more than the wire. And that gives you an inside look into their life without you having to go out there and do it. You can see, you know what they do. You see the ramifications of it. And at the end of the day, you're probably going to land where his first role was. And that's in this can. And as if you watched Oz, yeah. you know exactly what happened. If you didn't watch Oz, I advise you right now to go out, get your HBO max, buy them off eBay, bootleg it, whatever the hell you got to do. Do yourself a favor and watch that show. As we said, it's only eight episodes a season. You can probably burn through most of it in the span of a week or a weekend. Uh, if you're anybody like us, it's going to hook you and you will fly through it. And you're not going to be disappointed. You're going to call and you're going to say, Hollywood, thank you for recommending that show. You and Jaeger were right. We appreciate it. Uh, I guess <laughs> I guess that about wraps it up, man. I, I enjoyed that interview. Uh, we'll probably do it again with him sometime later on. We'll pick up. He's got a show he's working on now, Saints and Centers. Um, and I'm going to take a look at that. It's on the Bounce Network. They're in their, I think he said, fourth season. A lot of good actors in that show. So that's what he's been up to lately, still working, doing acting classes. So follow him on his Instagram. We'll link that into our show notes. Uh, and I guess until next week, folks, we want to thank everybody for tuning in. Yeah, I don't know if I've told you, we broke the 1,000 download mark. We did it. I wish I had my sound effect board over here. That's right. I'm sure, I, I'm sure we got something. What can we pull out the hat? Thank y'all for that. Hey. While you do that, I got okay. I talked all over. I thumped all over these saying radio. Uh, while you're uh, 
or I mean, while we're celebrating, make sure you hit that like button wherever you're listening at, the four or five-star reviews. A one-star counts as engagement. Hopefully, we do a little bit better than that around these parts on whatever podcasting app you're using. And leave a comment if you feel so inclined as well. We really do appreciate you tuning in and checking us out. Absolutely. No doubt about it. A lot of great feedback from the Red Wilmette episode. We're going to have him back real soon as well. We're going to sit down and talk with some more stories of Red Wilmette. I'm about halfway through his book now, so we'll probably recap that a little bit later on. Great feedback on that show. Red was a fantastic interview. JD was a fantastic interview. Lisa Wilcox was a fantastic interview coming up next week. Hell, this show is fantastic. So as my co-host said, go ahead, like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram. We're on all of your major podcast platforms. We're on Spotify. We're on Apple. We're on Stitcher. We're on some I've never even heard of, for God's sakes. We got YouTube channels. Go on out there. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. You're not doing nothing. You're laying back. You're sitting in a recliner with a beer. Turn off that TV show that ain't really amounting to nothing. We've already said today's TV sucks. Get you a little bit of old television in your earbuds here and listen to the interviews here on Crime and Entertainment. Well, folks, that does it. We're glad you could join in. That was my co-host, Yeager Yancey Tedder. I am Hollywood Wade, and we are out of time. Close us out there, Yeager. What do you got? All I got is thanks for tuning in and check back in next week for another edition of Crime and Entertainment.